Hey, it's Victoria, Girlboss's senior writer. Before we get into this episode of Girlboss Radio, trust me, it's a good one. I want to tell you a little bit about Vivaya, a super comfortable and environmentally friendly shoe brand that I've been obsessed with lately. Not only is their footwear stylish enough for a spot on your Instagram feed, but each pair is made from earth-conscious materials like recycled water bottles, vegan leather, and wool. So my personal faves right now are the Margo Flats because of the really unique square toe and V-cut shape, and the Aria Flats, which are perfect for taking to the boardroom and the bar. Ready to say goodbye to blisters and unsupportive soles forever? I know I am. Get 15% off with the code GIRLBOSS15 at vivaya.com slash girlbossradio. That's V-I-V-A-I-A dot com slash girlbossradio, or hit the link in the description. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy, and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today, I'm joined by Georgina Gouli, the co-founder of Billy, a razor brand that changed the conversation around women's body hair, shaving, and representation. We chat about her journey as a founder, how to make yourself heard in a male-dominated industry, how to chase fulfillment instead of success. Let's get into it. Georgina, thank you so much for joining us today at Girl Boss Radio. We are very excited to have this conversation with you. First and foremost, how's your day been so far? Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting. The day so far has been going pretty well. No complaints. You know, if there's no fires, I'm I'm happy. We were just chatting off camera and, and off audio a little bit. So for folks listening in, I'm back in Iceland now from Toronto and I made the rookie mistake of forgetting my Billy razors. I am a loyal user and I had to use another razor brand and completely like the most bizarre cut I've ever seen on my leg ever. So for those who know, know if you're a Billy razor user, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, we're going to have to get a special package out to you in Iceland. Um, But thank you. I'm really, really glad to hear that you're a fan. What did you do before you co-founded Billy? My background is in advertising and branding and marketing. And so I'm originally from Australia. I started my career at advertising agencies. So the first one being in Sydney, and then I moved to New York and was at an advertising agency here. And then I moved over to Portland, Oregon and was at another advertising agency. I loved it. I was really inspired by creativity and finding ways to connect with customers. Advertising agencies are very creatively driven and young. So you make a lot of really great friends. It was a really great career. Then Billy came along. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Billy, you wanted to create your own company with a strong point of view. And you shared with us that that point of view was to fight the pink tax. What inspired you to embark on this mission? And we'll get into what the pink tax is after. Just being a woman in the advertising space and really seeing how brands were speaking to customers, I was really aware of the pink tax. And as a result, I was actually buying men's razors because I thought it was really unfair that women were paying more for razors. And I just, I I didn't appreciate it. And so when my co-founder and I, we came together and we thought there's a really great opportunity to come in and disrupt the way 
brands are selling razors to customers. And a big part of that was looking at the pricing strategy, which is this pink tax. And so part of that was, all right, how do we price? So we price in line with other men's razors because fair is fair. How do we speak to customers? How do we portray women? We really became a larger mission than just selling razors. But you've already spoken to it for a little bit, but just just so we can be more clear for folks that aren't aware of what the pink tax is, what is the pink tax and what can brands and consumers do to fight gendered inequality in product pricing? So the pink tax is the premium that's placed on a product or a service, usually targeted towards women, and it's usually a 10 to 15% premium. So you'll see this in a lot of different industries. Dry cleaning is one. For some reason, a blouse is more expensive than a shirt to dry clean, even though it might be less material. Fashion has a lot of this. And it's really, you know, you've got a similar product, but because it's being marketed towards women and brands or companies feel that women are willing to pay more, they should just pay more. What you can do as a consumer, and I've seen this happen to other, you know, retail brands or fashion brands is, hey, you have the same, I don't know, cashmere sweater. Why is the one for women more expensive than men? Like it's literally using less cashmere <laughs> and, and calling that out and being able to use your voice to, you know, point it out because sometimes companies are pricing to be in line with competitors that they're not even aware of the discrepancy that might be within their own company. And, you know, what's even more wild about this, and I think that what's deeply connected to the pink tax is the fact that women make, as of 2020, I believe is women made 83 cents for every dollar earned by a man. And this actually trickles down when you actually separate white women from black women, et cetera, et cetera. Like you find that that cent goes down as low as 64 or 65 uh, cents per dollar. That to me is like the most enraging part of it. It's a complete double whammy, you know, against women. I think that it's so good to see what Billy's been doing to kind of work against that. So speaking of being the first, Billy was also the first ever women's razor ad to show body hair and outright say that shaving is a choice and not a requirement. What advice do you have for girl boss listeners building businesses that are being the first to do something? If you can be the first to do something, you're in a special position and a position of in a, in a powerful position because a lot of people have done a lot of things to be the first to do something. You should recognize that that's a special moment and absolutely take advantage of that moment. We looked at how the razor category had been speaking to women. It had been selling razors by essentially shaming women for having body hair, so much so that they wouldn't show any body hair in their advertisements because it was too taboo or disgusting or whatever. So even when they were doing a product demonstration, they would shave an already shaved leg because the idea of hair on a leg was was too much. And so I shave, but I really don't like it if any brand, any person telling me what I need to look like or how I need to groom. And so that was really where it came from. It was like, this is a choice, not an expectation. And for a hundred years, you've been told that hair shouldn't be there. And we're saying, no, it's totally up to you. If you want that hair there, we can be a razor brand that's still pro body hair. 
And the whole thing is about choice. It's your body. You do what you want with it. If you want to shave, we have a great razor for you. And here are all the reasons why you're going to love this shave. But if you don't, that's amazing too. And we want it to be a brand that champions all of womankind and the full spectrum of womankind. And women don't fit into one box. We are diverse and have many identities and it should be all celebrated. And and so even the way we showed the goal was make this body hair as beautiful, like light it like you would in a beauty campaign. Like let's really put these women up on a pedestal. I had no idea how people would react. And some people really didn't like it. And some women really, really didn't like it, which was interesting because we weren't saying you have to have body hair. We were just saying it's a total choice. But thankfully, a lot of women really, really did like it. I was blown away by how much reception we got. I mean, we were in at least 24 different countries on the news. I think I had a friend who was in London was like, you're on the front page of the BBC. It was really interesting because you had sort of the haters get on and say, this is disgusting and women should shave. We didn't even have to respond because all these other women came and were like, shutting them down. So it was a really, it was just a really cool moment. And that happened six months into launch. So we were really new and it was just an incredible time for the brand. And I'm one of those women that absolutely loved the approach that you took. I'd seen so many advertisements with bare, silky, smooth looking legs (laughs) and armpits that I was like totally just almost like it was normalized to not have hair in these advertisements. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening right now that are having that exact like aha moment. When you think of razors, people have always thought of like old school Venus ads from like the early 2000s, where everyone is mostly like white, thin, and completely hairless, bouncing around, playing volleyball or whatever at the beach. And you and the team at Billy have disrupted what has forever been a male-dominated shaving industry, and you've brought body hair representation into the 21st century with your brand and powerful advertisements. What was the hardest part of accomplishing this in the early days? One thing that we always think about is we say we want to champion womankind, and that really means the full spectrum of womankind. And I think in the beginning, we were sort of thinking campaign specific and trying to do all the things to the extent where it just wasn't feeling right or natural or forced. You could get into tokenizing, like you just want to, your intent is, I feel like in the right place, but you have to make sure your impact is landing and it doesn't feel like you're just ticking off boxes. Those have been big conversations that we've had as a team on how do we make sure that people feel seen and represented not in a tokenized way. And I think what we really have understood is you can't tick every box in one campaign. It's a journey and you have to do it over a long period of time across many touch points. And that's the most authentic way to champion the full spectrum of womankind. Yeah. Representation is a really challenging thing for brands like yours to solve for. My mom always used to say this to me, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Sometimes like that's just the reality of life. And I think that this sometimes extends to the concept of like representation or even like solving for different inequities. Like you have to figure out the inequities that you want to solve for and start from there because you can't do it all at once. 
And one thing that really stood out to me when I was, you know, doing my research on you is that you're doing a lot of advocacy across not only like Billy as a product, but for you as an individual, as a, as a founder of a business and as an entrepreneur. I'm curious, how does your advocacy for women, girls, and non-binary folks extend to the workplace you're building for your team at Billy? I understand work is a huge and important aspect of your life, but it's not your entire life. So being able to bring the experiences that you have in life into the workplace and feeling welcome to do that, at the end of the day, it's really welcoming in folks into the company that you feel will uphold that culture. You want people to be able to be themselves. And personally, that's how I've always thrived in a professional environment when I felt empowered to just be myself and not have to put on a persona that was a work persona, but just, you know, be me and be allowed to be me and share my thoughts as me and do what I think is good work as me. And if it's a toxic environment or an environment where I feel threatened, me as a person, I'm going to recluse and I'm going to go into my shell. And I know that this is not the place for me to thrive. And so I feel like if that's the environment that works for me, that's the environment I hope to create for folks at Billy. I'm a big believer in building work that works for everyone. As you invite new people into organizations, your culture will shift. But what I loved that you said, and I think that this is like one of the key things that leaders often miss is that you want to bring people into your organization that will uphold that cultural standard and like those expectations around how people behave. And I think that a lot of organizations work really hard on building inclusive cultures and having like really great systems. They don't think about it from the lens of hiring. (laughs) You need to bring the right people in. Culture is fragile and it needs to be nurtured and it's a living, breathing thing, right? And so it can be a month ago, things can be good, but if you upset the ecosystem, you know, it won't be good next month. And so it is something you have to keep a pulse on. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most exciting things for us to explore at Girlboss is this concept of success. We're big on defining success on our own terms. And I'm curious what success or being successful means to you. I would almost break it down into work success and life success because I don't think you should tie all of your success to work by any means. From a work perspective, I think success is when your talent and your skills meet your passion. I think that's where magic happens. When those two things come together, you know, given right timing, a little bit of luck, like really amazing things can happen. What am I really good at? And what do I love to do? And is there an intersection there that I can really harness? I think success is ultimately fulfillment. And it doesn't necessarily mean I make a certain amount of money or I've done a certain thing. It's like, what fills up your cup? Chase that, you know? And, and if it's not, if you don't have it right now, figure it out so that, you know, you, you can try and chase the thing that you want. We've asked this question to every guest that I've spoken with and no one has ever explicitly talked about fulfillment, which I think is a really important thing to kind of think about. Then also it was a really great reminder for me as well (laughs) that I think I needed to hear. That happens sometimes on the podcast where I'm like, oh, I needed to hear that myself. Is your back knee bugging you? Do you have stubborn breakouts that just won't go away? Is your complexion looking a bit dull lately? 
Instead of buying a medley of trendy products that you saw on TikTok that only break you out more, why not reach for something that's tailored to your skin's unique needs? Trology's personalized skincare routines are affordable, efficient, and effective, and achieving your skin goals could never be easier. All you have to do is take their in-depth skin quiz and snap a few selfies, and a dermatology provider will have a custom skincare regimen sent right to your door. I'm personally loving the emergency spot patches that suck out the gunk on even the most stubborn zits and the gentle yet effective micellar makeup remover. Your waterproof mascara never stood a chance. Curology also gives you access to prescription skincare from the comfort of your home. That's right. No trekking to the dermatologist's office or the pharmacy. Start your personalized Curology journey today at curology.com slash girlbossradio. That's curology.com slash girlbossradio. Subscription required, subject to consultation. You're listening to my chat with Georgina. Next up, I asked Georgina about her work insecurities and share some of mine. Keep listening. So do you believe that you're successful based on your definition of success, like personally and professionally? Do you think that you've gotten there? I'm I'm grateful for the wins that I've had, both life and work. I chalk it down to, yes, I worked hard and I prioritized, but you know, there's timing, there's luck. I don't take any of it lightly and I, I am super grateful. Life is long and you have to think about where you want to go. What are my priorities long term? What can I do today to like help me continue along that path? What am I chasing? It's just being really mindful. And, and I really do think it is fulfillment because at the end of the day, you know, you can have all the material things or whatever, check all the boxes, like climb the corporate ladder, like do whatever that. And if you're not happy at the end of the day, then what's the point? So I do think it is kind of being mindful about what it is that thing that you're chasing and will you feel satisfied and fulfilled when you get there? Prior to Billy, you know, I was working in these corporate environments and, you know, climbing the ladder. And I think I distinctly remember having this moment where I was sitting at, you know, a company meeting and was was just like, if I work really hard and then get that promotion and the promotion after that and the promotion after that and whatever, and I get to the, like, that person's job, will I be happy? And And I think that really freaked me out because I wasn't sure if the answer was yes. And it's a lot of work and a lot of time to get there. So you kind of want to ask yourself those questions. And that was a pretty pivotal moment. I, I didn't make a, a decision, you know, the next day or anything like that, but it was a pivotal moment. I do remember it very, very vividly. And I'm really glad that I did, right? Because instead of just staying in your lane and going the, the one-way path, you start to be open to other opportunities and you start to explore and scratch the curiosity and who knows where that can take you. Kind of going back into your journey as an entrepreneur, and this is a question that I've actually had come from a few folks that listen to the podcast is they want us to ask more questions around like how do people navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, which I mean, as an entrepreneur myself, it's a question that I always ask my friends and people that I get close to that are also on the same journey. So how do you navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and you know, co-founding this big business has been growing exponentially over the last several years? you have to have conviction in what you're doing because there are ups and downs and having someone to share this very unique experience with 
I found absolutely crucial. My hats are off to anyone who does this on their own. For me, having a co-founder and having someone that really in the trenches with you day in, day out, that was really important. And then really just surrounding yourself with friends, family, whatever, but that support system is really important as well. So I think relationships maybe is my answer to that, like making sure you have the right people around you to help you through. And then personally, I just very much tried to take an even keel approach. So even when things were really good or even when things were really difficult, trying to stay very even keel and not getting too, because I knew something amazing can happen. And by the afternoon, I'm dealing with a problem. So, and the opposite as well, you know, knowing that when something is really difficult, this too shall pass. I love that. I think that trying to keep even keel has been one piece of advice that I've had from another founder friend. And it's definitely been a bit of a saving grace for me because I think that sometimes when you're too quick, sometimes to celebrate or get super excited or on the reverse, get really sad or really mad or really hurt, it becomes a pattern and a way of responding to like the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. So trying to remain calm and even keel is definitely a, a great way to navigate the ups and downs of what any workplace sends your way. Speaking of ups and downs, another question that we've been getting a, a bit like a nudge to ask more about is work insecurities. So this has been coming up a lot in the TikTok space, but I wanted to ask, do you have any work insecurities? I don't know if it's an insecurity, but I really do care about the team. And so when people are having a difficult time or people issues, I want to fix it and I want to like get in and what do we need to do and all of that. And, and to me, that almost takes more of an emotional toll than the business stuff, right? And the business stuff, you can be quite, you know, take a step back, be pretty A or B or you can approach it pretty analytically, but it's all the people stuff. And I always say at the end of the day, a company is your collection of people. And so to me, it's super important. We get that right. And it's not easy. And as you grow, you know, we're now 80 people. There's more interrelationships between all of those folks. A lot of like emotional labor is, is dedicated towards. That's kind of the stuff that if I'm lying awake at night, is probably something to do with that. Oh my gosh, same here. That's like my number one. And that's coming from an HR expert. <laughs> so we get hired to help organizations navigate people things. So I think that because of that, I'm like even more sensitive and hyper aware of it. But you're right, like your people or people in general are like the lifeblood of any company and organization. They are the most valuable asset. And it's an ever evolving, adjusting, shifting, growing mechanism or its own ecosystem, right? And it's really nuanced and complicated. So it is definitely a place where I have like my own work insecurities and that's coming from like an HR practitioner. <laughs> but my second work insecurity would be my email management. So I'm going <laughs> to email management for me is a losing game. It's a big, big insecurity for me. So thank you so much for sharing that and being so vulnerable with us. I think that what you shared is something that a lot of leaders could probably connect with. So for the bosses and leaders and founders that are listening in, let us know <laughs> once this episode drops, if you agree with Georgina, if you're having those same kind of like keep me up at night moments uh, as it relates to people. 
I asked you if you believed you were successful, but I wanted to ask you, when was the first time you actually felt successful? I moved to New York when I was 25 and I got a job here and coming from Sydney, it's intimidating coming to New York, but being in that job, I was again, intimidated my first day. I remember being in a meeting and I was just blown away by how eloquent and articulate everyone was. And I was like, wow, these people are so impressive. And then I like found that the person like presenting was like the intern. And I was like, I'm more senior than that person. And that person's so impressive. Finding my footing and being recognized in that job that I was, you know, doing a really good job and contributing, I felt like, oh, okay, like I've been able to prove myself in this bigger city, in this like more cutthroat advertising agency, and I've been able to succeed. So I feel like that was a pretty big moment for me personally. And then with Billy, we'd been building this brand for this company for a year before it launched. And day one, you're super excited and you're hopeful. You have no idea if anyone's going to care, buy anything. And I think by day three, we had shipped to all 50 states. And I was like, I think this is going to be a thing. (laughs) It was early days, obviously, but I just was like, I remember feeling that like, butterfly, right? And just being like, I feel like we're onto something and like people are agreeing with what we have to say and they're loving the product. And, and that was a really cool moment. I love that. I love that. So I want to do some rapid fire questions and then get into our ask a girl boss question. We ask one every single episode. So very quickly, what time do you typically wake up in the morning? Seven, seven in the morning. When do you do your best work? At night, I'm a bit rough as a morning person. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you do your best work? I have like a little study at home. Yeah, I can like shut the door, keep the kids away and have my desk and just sort of zone in. And do you believe you have to have a morning routine to be successful? Well, no, because I'm hopeless at my morning routine. I have two kids, one's three, one's one, and they don't sleep great. And so if you get me before the cup of coffee in the morning, I am like a zombie. (laughs) And how many unread emails do you have in your inbox at the moment? Well, I think I'm the opposite to you because I have zero. Oh my gosh. You're the second (laughs) one. You're the second person we've spoken to. I like to keep it really clean. My inbox is my to-do list. I file anything or delete. Yes. Okay. I need to get in. I need to get in on that. That's my 2023 goal is to get a hold of my inbox finally. So getting into the ask girl boss question, we get one from a listener for every single episode. And I really like this one. So the question is, how do I move up in a male dominated industry? I think the most important thing, and then you have to figure out how you do it and what's right for you. But the most important thing is making sure you are heard and your voice is heard. And that doesn't mean you have to take on masculine qualities and be that person in the boardroom, but you do have to figure out how to make your voice heard because everyone has a lot to contribute. And I've been there where the room is being taken up by these big voices and it's hard to be heard or seen. And 
at times, I think when earlier on in my career, I felt like is the only way for me to be heard is to be one of those big voices, but that feels counterintuitive to who I am as a person. And how do I make sure that like, I get noticed, even though I'm not maybe the same kind of brash, more aggressive personality as a lot of folks in the industry were. And that has been the big thing is sort of finding a way that you feel really confident and it feels natural to you, but you are getting your point across because it doesn't matter how you do it, but you got to get it across. I love that advice because I think that oftentimes the advice that people give women specifically as relates to how can you navigate a male-dominated industry is to unfortunately mirror the ways that men have engaged in workplaces and doing business and collaborating with others for millennia, which I think that that is counterintuitive, right? And it oftentimes doesn't necessarily work for people from different backgrounds and and just different comfort levels in terms of how they show up. But you're right, because I think we all communicate differently. But ensuring that we are heard in some capacity is so, so, so important. So Thank you, Georgina, for that excellent piece of advice. Another tidbit I'll be putting in my back pocket for for future Avery. I'll definitely need to reflect on that one again. So before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to see if you have anything else you'd like to share with listeners today. I'm just thankful that you've had me on here and thank you for a wonderful chat. And this is a great community and love seeing the comments and all the perspectives that this community brings. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Of course, we're thrilled to have you share all your insights and just be so vulnerable today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And until next time. Thank you so much. So we're coming to the end of this season of Girl Boss Radio. If you've been here since our first episode, I am so grateful for you. As we head into our next season, please leave a comment and let us know what we can do to make Girl Boss Radio even better. Is there a guest you think I should interview? A conversation that we haven't covered yet? I want to hear it. This podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.